Please get your Bibles and join me as I read from Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 9 down to verse 14. Exodus chapter 3, reading from verse 9 down to verse 14. Context of this passage God calls Moses, who at this time is residing in Midian, and God commissions him to go to Pharaoh in Egypt to deliver God's people out of bondage in Egypt and to guide God's people and bring them into the promised land a land flowing with milk and honey. And so there is a commission here. I want you to remember that. God is commissioning Moses to go to Pharaoh. Verse 9. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come. It's imperative. It's a command. It's a commission. Come. Now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And so, again, here God commissions Moses to go to Pharaoh, to set God's people free from the hand of Pharaoh. Verse 11, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am, has sent me unto you. May the Lord bless the reading of his word in our hearts. You may remember the name William Carey, an English missionary to India and regarded by many as the father of modern missions. He realized that many people around the world had never heard the gospel, and that it was the duty of the church to reach out to them with the gospel. And so in 1789, William Carey, who, by the way, was only 28 years old at this time, attended a meeting of ministers or pastors. At that meeting, William Carey stood up and explained the need for overseas missions. 
However, he was abruptly interrupted by the chairman of the meeting who said, Young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, the unbelievers in, in India, He will do it without your help and mine. In other words, what this chairman is saying to William Carey, if God wants to save, convert the unbelievers, He will do it without your help and my help. In fact, this is a typical attitude of a hyper-Calvinist. Actually, during the time of William Carey, hyper-Calvinism was so prevalent. And one of the problems of hyper-Calvinism is this. It overemphasizes God's sovereignty and man's inability to the exclusion of man's responsibility. And so a hyper-Calvinist will argue that since the unbelievers are unable to believe because they are dead in their sins and trespasses, they have no duty to believe in Jesus for salvation. Therefore, they, they say, a, a hyper-Calvinist will say, to urge the unregenerate to come to Christ by faith is illogical and unbiblical. Because really, there is a sense that whenever we share the gospel with the unbelievers, whenever we evangelize, it's like going to a cemetery, boys and girls. I don't know if you've been to a cemetery. You have bones, dead bones. And imagine talking to those dead bones, trying to convince them of their sin, that they are sinners, trying to, to compel them that they need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. Now, of course, if someone sees you talking to those dead bones, that person might think that you've lost your mind. Why are you talking to dead people? They are dead. Well, really in evangelism, that's what we do. We are talking to dead sinners. Because the Bible says, by nature we are dead in sin and trespasses. And so, for a hyper-Calvinist, he will say, it doesn't make sense to talk to spiritually dead souls it doesn't make sense to convince them of, of their need of a Savior in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's illogical. We first need to wait for God to regenerate their dead souls before we can come to them, before we can share the gospel with them. And that's why this chairman said to William Carey, sit down. You don't need to evangelize. You don't need to go to India. Because if God pleases to save the, the, the people, the, the sinners there, He will do it without your help and my help. He is sovereign. So too much emphasis on God's sovereignty at the expense of human responsibility. 
But you see, in the Bible, we see the balance, the beautiful balance of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Yes, we don't deny the fact that it is God who saves. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Only the Holy Spirit can quicken our dead souls. Only the Holy Spirit can regenerate our dead souls. Only the Holy Spirit can can give us faith to believe in Jesus and repentance to repent of our sins. We don't deny that. We believe that with all our heart. But at the same time, there is a responsibility given to us who are in Christ to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. To preach Jesus. And you have the responsibility to believe in Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, do not expect to be saved. Because the Bible is so clear. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You don't believe, you will not be saved. Now, Are you using God's sovereignty and total total depravity as an excuse for not offering the gospel? Now remember Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 37 verse 4, God said to Ezekiel, prophesy, and by the way, in that context, the, the Hebrew word prophesy, or in Hebrew that that word uh, translated prophesy simply means proclaim. Ezekiel, proclaim, prophesy upon these bones, dry, dead bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And again, if, if you think, if you try to think logically, Lord, it doesn't make sense. How can they hear the gospel? How can they hear me if they are dead? But God said, you go. You do what I'm asking you to do. That's your responsibility. Don't worry about their response. I'm the one who will make them respond to the gospel. But I want you to do your responsibility. You see, we have that responsibility to go out, to reach out to our neighbors, to to the people in our community, to bring to them the message of the cross. We need to offer the gospel freely to sinners in evangelism. But of course, Like Moses in our passage, we love to make excuses. And so what I'm going to do in our remaining time is look at all the excuses that Moses gives to the Lord. Five at least. Five alibis. Now remember the context. God is commissioning Moses to go to Pharaoh. There is a commission. It's a great commission. Moses is going to talk to Pharaoh, and Moses is going to deliver the people of God from the land of Egypt, from this land of slavery and bondage, and and bring them into this promised land, this Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a great commission. And yet Moses 
gives five excuses. He doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to, to obey God's commission. And so let's look at the first excuse of Moses. Because you and I, if we are honest with ourselves, can relate to Moses here. You and I use the same excuses to some degree. First excuse, who am I that I should go? Look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses' first response to God's commission is this, Lord, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Perhaps he's saying, Lord, why me? Why ask me to go to Pharaoh? Now, remember the context. During this time, Moses is in Midian. What is he doing there? He is shepherding. He is a shepherd. And so perhaps he's saying to God, Lord, why send me? I am a shepherd. I'm supposed to, to, to pastor or shepherd my sheep. I'm not supposed to go to Pharaoh, the, the king of Egypt. I'm not supposed to, to shepherd your people. That's not my responsibility, O oh Lord. Who am I that I should go? Or perhaps Moses is also saying to God, Lord, I don't know if you understand this, Lord. I am in my 80s already because we know that Moses is already 80 years old during this time. And maybe he's saying, Lord, I'm, I'm too old for this kind of commission. I don't want to go. I'm 80, 80 years old. Lord, I, I am weak. You want me to go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the most powerful, influential person in the land of Egypt? I'm just a shepherd, Lord. Who am I? Who am I, O oh Lord? But look at God's response to Moses' alibi or excuse. Look at verse 12. What does God say to Moses? Verse 12, Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. And he, that is God, said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. What a beautiful promise that God gives to Moses. As if God is saying to Moses, Moses, I understand. I understand your fear. I understand your weakness. Yes, I, I understand you are a shepherd. I understand you are in your 80s. But I will be with you certainly. And in Hebrew, that, that word certainly is, is really very emphatic. Moses, you're not going there by yourself. We're going to do it together. I will be with you. I am mightier than Pharaoh. I am the almighty God. I will help you. I will give you strength. Now, let, let, let's apply this to us. There is a great commission in Matthew 28, go, go, 
which echoes somewhat the, the imperative here in Exodus chapter 3. Come, Moses, come, go, and teach all nations. And maybe you're saying, no, who, who, who am I? Who am I that I should go to my neighborhood? Who am I that I should join the evangelism committee? Who am I? I'm old. I'm in my 80s. And you're asking me to do this commission? I'm, I'm too weak. I, I have no theological training. I'm, I'm a shepherd. I'm a farmer. I'm a carpenter. I'm a builder. I'm a nurse. I'm an accountant. Who am I that I should go? Well, God is giving us this beautiful promise. Certainly, I will be with you. Not maybe or perhaps, but certainly, certainly. It is a sure promise. And isn't it true that we see the same promise in the Great Commission in Matthew 28? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And listen now, please. And lo, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have the same promise in the Great Commission. In other words, whenever we go out and proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can claim that promise. And lo, I am with you, not just sometimes, but always. You know what's interesting? We love to take that promise. Oh, I love it. God will be with me always. But we don't want to take the great commission. We don't want to go. We love the promise, but not the Great Commission. You know, uh, David Livingstone, you may have heard of his name, a missionary to, to Africa. He was actually a physician from Scotland, went to Africa to serve as a missionary. Matthew 28, verse 20, became like his life verse. When he returned to Scotland, and when he was asked, Dr. David Livingstone, what was it that, that really encouraged you to go to Africa? What was it that, that sustained you in Africa? Because we know that it was not easy to be a missionary in Africa, especially during this time. Listen to what he said. Would you like me to tell you what supported me through all the years of exile among people whose language I could not understand and whose attitude towards me was always uncertain and often hostile? It was this, Law, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. On those words, I staked everything and they never failed. And I want to encourage you, the evangelism committee, as you go and reach out to the lost in your community, remember the promise of God 
And law, I am with you always. Now, you would think after hearing this promise, Moses would, would go right away, right? But no. He makes another alibi, another excuse. Second excuse. What shall I say to them? Look at verse 13. Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say, or shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Okay, Lord, thank you for your promise that you will go with me. If I go, and if your people ask me about you, what shall I say to them? What, 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 what's my message? Really, that's the, the question of Moses. What, what, what shall I share? What's, what shall I say? I don't want to go because I may not be able to answer their questions. What shall I say? What is my message? And maybe this is your your excuse too for not evangelizing. Well, I don't I don't want to evangelize because I'm going to meet a stranger. What if this person asks me about God that I don't know the answer about? What if they ask me? What shall I say? What is my message? Now, how does God respond to Moses' second alibi? Look at verse 14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. Moses, you're asking me about your message, about the message? What, what, what shall you say to, to, to the people of Israel? Tell them that I am what I am. In other words, Moses, here's your message. It's simple. I am your message. God is the message of evangelism. And isn't it true? Isn't it true? That the message of evangelism is God. It's all about God. The I am God. One of, one of our children, we have five small children, and we, we ask them after church service, okay, please tell us what, what, what have you learned? And one would say, usually the youngest or second to the youngest, well, we, we learned about God. We learned about God. What did you learn from your Sunday school or catechism class? We learned about God. Now, as, as a father, I was looking for a more detailed answer, but the answer is not wrong either. It is true. My child learned about God because it's all about God. That's the message. So that's what God is saying to Moses. Moses, this is your message. Tell them about me that I am the I am God. 
That I am the, the faithful, covenant-keeping God who does not change. I made a promise to them to, to deliver them out of Egypt and to bring them into the promised land. I'm going to keep that promise because I am the I am God. The promise-keeping God. And interestingly, that I am what I am has been shortened to just I am. Did you notice that? In verse 14, look at verse 14. I am that I am. And then when you come to the latter part of verse 14, you have just I am. Now, when you go to the New Testament, someone claims the title I am for himself. Who is he? Children. Jesus. Jesus claims to be the I am God. He is the I am. And so in evangelism, the message that we have is the I am Jesus. It's all about Jesus. When, when we go out, we tell, we tell people about Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for sinners such as we are. We tell them that that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You know what's interesting? In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, Repent and believe the gospel with the implication that if you do so, if you believe the gospel, you will be saved. So in that context, to answer the, the question, what must I do to be saved? The answer, according to Jesus in that verse, believe the gospel. Believe the gospel and you will be saved. Now, when the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, when he asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. They did not say, believe the gospel and you will be saved, although that is true. Instead, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Whereas Jesus says, believe the gospel and you will be saved. So what does it tell you? It tells you that in the Bible, the gospel and Jesus are essentially synonymous. They are essentially synonymous. Jesus is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. When we evangelize, and the word evangelism comes from the word euangelion, from which we have the English word evangel. Evangel means good news, like evangelical, good news. When you evangelize, you gospelize from the word gospel because that's the meaning of the word evangel. And so when you evangelize, you gospelize. You gospelize, you share Christ because He is the gospel. He is our message. And so maybe some, some of you are saying, I don't want to go. I'm, I'm scared. I don't know what to say. What, what's my message? When, when I meet a stranger, what, 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 what shall I say? Well, you have this simple message of the gospel. Jesus is your message. Do you know Jesus? If you know Jesus, then you have a message. 
For sure. You know your pastor well enough. He has been here now for what? Almost two years? If a stranger will, will, will ask you, have you heard of the name Reverend Bart Elsout? Yes, I know him. Can you please tell me something about him? For sure, you, you will be able to give at least three descriptions about your pastor. Now, a stranger will ask you about Jesus. Don't you know Jesus? You've been hearing about Jesus Sunday after Sunday. You've been reading the Bible about Jesus. Can you not give descriptions about Jesus? You know, one of our problems in evangelism is that we try to, to make our message, that the gospel, complicated. What do I mean by that? Well, think of this. When, when the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? Now, in the first place, Paul, being one of the great theologians of the New Testament, if not the great theologian, he did not say to this Philippian jailer, by the way, I hate to say this to you, Philippian jailer, but there's nothing you can do. You're asking me what, what you must do, what, what must I do, you must do to be saved. Well, you need to realize you are, you are totally depraved. And if you are totally depraved, it means in and of yourself, there is nothing you can do. You cannot even believe. Because how can you believe you're dead? You can't even repent of your sin. How can you repent of your sin? You are dead in sin. It, 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 it has to be given to you, that faith. It has to be given to you, that, that repentance, which is a gift from God. And so just wait, Philippian jailer, for God to sovereignly work in your heart and then come back to us. No, Paul did not say that. In response to that beautiful question, perhaps the, the greatest question of all time, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Paul did not even say, well, by the way, first you need to understand the entire Old Testament. You need to believe in the, the, the five points of Calvinism and add it to, to the five points of Calvinism, the five solace of the Reformation. And, and by the way, you also need to believe all the three forms of unity, Belgic Confession of Faith, the Halibre Catechism, and the Canons of Dort. And by the way, added to those three forms uh, of unity is, is the Westminster Confession of Faith. Too complicated. That's not the message of the gospel. It's simple. Think of the, 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 the criminal on the cross, the believing criminal. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. A simple expression of faith. And in response, God said, Jesus said to him, Today, not tomorrow, today you will be with me in paradise. Right now you have this assurance that the moment you die, you are going to be with me in, in paradise. Third excuse of Moses. Verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. They will not believe me or listen to me. Look, look at Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, 
For they will say, The Lord has not appeared unto thee. Remember the first excuse? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? God says, I will be with you. Okay, Lord, if I go, what shall I say? What's my message? Here's your message. I am what I am. I am your message. Okay, Lord, but, but if I come and, and I tell them, they will not believe me. They will not, they will not listen to me. Here, Moses is so pessimistic. You know, boys and girls, a, a pessimistic person is someone who expects, often expects negative or worse. Don't we have sometimes that, that kind of attitude? No, I don't want to go to my, to my neighbors. I don't want to share the gospel with my relatives, unbelieving relatives, because they will not listen to me anyway. Well, how do you know? Have you tried it yet? Try it first. Like Moses, how do you know that they will not listen to you? Have you tried it yet? But that's the kind of attitude that we have. We think negatively right away. And in the mind of Moses, if the people of Israel will not believe or, or listen to him, to what he says, then he is a failure. No, you, you are not a failure. If I share the gospel with this person and the person rejects the gospel, it's not a failure because it's not my business to save that person. My business, my, the commission that the Lord has given to me is not to, to save that person. It's not for me to save that person. It is God who can save. And if that person rejects, declines the gospel, so be it. I've done my part. I've done my part. Have you done your part? Have you tried to reach out to your unbelieving relatives and friends and neighbors. Someone said, it is better to try and fail than to fail to try. Yes, let's, let's be honest with ourselves, and I include myself here. We have many fears when we share the gospel. We have many what-if questions. What if, what if, what if? Fear of rejection. Well, look how God responds to Moses' third alibi. Look at verse 2 of chapter 4. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thy hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, cast it on the ground, and he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thy hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Now, read verse 5. Why, why, why did God make this miracle? A rod turning into a snake. Look at verse 5. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of, and Jacob, of Jacob has appeared unto thee. Really what, what God is, is doing here is this. Moses, I am the God of impossibilities. I am the God of miracles. 
I know it is hard for you to understand this, but I can change the hearts of my people. I can cause them to listen to you. I can cause them to, to, to receive your message. I can do that. But I want you to do your part, namely to go to them. God is the God of miracles. I have a question for you. Do you know someone whom you think, humanly speaking, cannot be changed? Maybe the most evil person that you know, the vilest sinner, that if you think of that person, there is no way that that person will ever be saved. Do you know someone? Then my question is this. Do you actually believe, do you actually under, uh, underestimate the power of God to save the, the most evil person in the world? Do you actually doubt and question God's ability to convert the vilest, the most wicked sinner on earth? God is so powerful. And that's the message of, of God to Moses. Moses, I want you to go. Go. Because nothing is impossible with me. You know, one of my encourage, encouragements to in evangelism is the doctrine of election. Do you believe in the doctrine of election? That before the foundation of the world, God has chosen some in Christ. Some who will be saved. Do you believe in the doctrine of election? Because if you do, use it as your encouragement to go. To go. Because if that person is one of the elect... I don't care who that person may be. He may be the most evil in your neighborhood. If God calls that person effectually, that person cannot resist the gospel, cannot resist God's grace. That person will be saved. But that person needs to hear the gospel. How will they believe in whom they have not heard? You need to go tell them about Jesus. It's not for you to save them. And by the way, it's not for you also to determine who the elect may be. No. It's not our business. When you evangelize, you don't look at that person and, and say, you know what, you look like one of the elect. You, you look so, no, you, you look so worldly. I don't think you're one of the elect. Please don't do that. It's not our business to know who the elect may be. Our business, our, our, our job, our calling is to present the gospel indiscriminately to all sinners because the gospel is for all sinners. For all sinners. There is an old English proverb that says, you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make it drink. 
Likewise, we cannot make the unbelievers believe the gospel. However, we can help create a thirst for the gospel. And this is what we need to do as Christians. If you are in Christ, evangelism committee, this is what we need to do as you go out. Create a thirst for the gospel. Practically, how do you do this? Well, maybe bake cookies for your neighbors. Maybe you have a neighbor that that you really want to share the gospel with. Bake cookies. Knock at the door. Offer cookies. At first, you don't need to, to talk about the gospel right away. First, make that bridge. Make that bridge. Establish that genuine friendship. Show that you care for them. Homeless people, let's, we should be the ones showing the love of Jesus. If we claim to be Christians, we should be sharing the same love that we have felt and experienced in Christ. You know, it's interesting when you go to the Middle East and talk to a Muslim who has been converted into Christianity, it's either that Muslim had a dream about Jesus and later on met a Christian who told him about the gospel, about Jesus, or that Muslim felt the love of his Christian neighbors. And they could not believe it. We want to kill you. We want to persecute you, Christians. And this is what you're doing to us? You are helping us? You are giving us food? <laughs> what, kind, what kind of religion do you have? Their heart is just melted by the love of Jesus. And we need to do the same as we share the gospel with others. But then we have fourth excuse, and we'll be quick here now. Verse 10. Verse 10, Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Fourth excuse, okay, Lord, I know you will go with me, Now I have a message. Now I have your assurance. I know you are powerful. Nothing is impossible with you. You can incline their hearts to to listen to me, believe the message that I bring to them. But Lord, I am not eloquent. I am of slow, slow of speech, a slow of a slow tongue. But look at God's response to Moses' fourth excuse. Verse 12. Look at verse 12. Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. Okay, Moses, I know you are not eloquent, but I will bless your mouth. I will be with your mouth. In Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, Jesus says to his disciples, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious or do not be afraid about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit 
will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And that is God's promise to us. We don't need to worry. You may not be eloquent in your speech. Maybe English is not your first language. English is not my first language. And you could imagine dialoguing with, 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 with someone in English. But I don't want to use that as an excuse. Because I know God is with me. Maybe Dutch is your first language. You're not eloquent. Maybe you, you are shy. Maybe you are introverted. You are, you, are, you, are, you are the kind of person that would not want to be in the crowd. You, you would not want to just talk to, to, to a stranger, to, to, to one of your neighbors. It's not your personality. You're, you're, you're shy. No, Lord, no, not, not, not me, Lord. S- send him, send her, not, not me. No, the Great Commission is to all Christians. If you claim to be a Christian, you are part of the Great Commission. It has been given to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you belong to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you share the responsibility. No excuse. I know we love to make excuses. We are like Moses. You know what's sad? Many of us who would say, no, I'm not eloquent. I don't want to to talk about the gospel. We talk about sports. We talk about politics. We talk about the weather. But the moment we start a conversation about Jesus Christ, we want to, to shut it down. No, we, we cannot talk about Jesus. It's okay to talk about politics, about this and that, but not about Jesus. It's offensive to me. Don't ever ask me about Jesus. It's too personal. Don't ask me about the gospel. And that is so sad. And as a result, we don't evangelize. We're content sitting, yes, you faithfully attend the church twice on Sunday, but you are failing to do God's commission. Now, suppose you see a three-year-old boy drowning in a pool. The boy is drowning. Provided you don't know how to swim. And therefore, you cannot save that boy. You cannot jump into that pool and rescue that boy. Provided you are introverted, provided you are shy, reserved, not eloquent, would you just watch that boy drowning, dying? Would you just say, poor boy, there's nothing I can do. I'm not eloquent, I'm shy, I cannot go to my, my neighborhood for, for help. No. If you see that boy drowning out of love for that boy, you would run and you would not care what, what you are wearing at that moment. Even if you are in your pajamas, you would run to one of your neighbors and say and beg that, 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 that neighbor of yours, Please, come now. My, my grandson is drowning. 
My grandson is drowning. I don't know how to swim. Do you know how to swim? Please come. You will yell. You will shout. You forget about your shyness. You would do that, right? I hope you would. Now, there is a sense that your unbelieving grandchildren, your unbelieving children, your unbelieving neighbors and relatives, your unbelieving friends, they are all drowning, about to die forever in the lake of fire. Don't you care for them? Would you still use that, that, that excuse that you have that I'm shy? I hope not. Especially when God says, I will be with your mouth. I will help you. I will give you a message. Don't worry. Just go. And by the way, our God is so powerful that He can overrule even our mistakes, grammatical mistakes. He can even use our mistakes to accomplish His eternal purpose and plan. And then the last excuse, verse 13. Verse 13, Exodus chapter 4, verse 13. And he said, Oh my Lord. So Moses said to God, Oh my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. In other words, I don't want to go. Lord, I don't want to go. Send, send Aaron, not, not me. Send someone else. That's the last excuse. Please send someone else. That's why I entitled, I entitled this message, I do not want to evangelize. Because now we know why Moses would not go. He simply doesn't want to do God's commission. Are you like Moses? You give excuses upon excuses. But deep within you, if you are honest, the reason why you don't want to get involved in evangelism is because you don't want to go. You are unwilling. You don't want to go. That's the issue. You don't want to go. Now, let me conclude this with some practical uh, pieces of advice. If you are like Moses, first, stop making excuses. No excuse. Don't ever, ever bring up an excuse. Because for every excuse that we make, God has an answer. Second, pray to the Lord. Be honest with God. Lord, I've never done this, Lord. Lord, I I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Lord, Please take, take away my fear. Lord, I'm shy. Lord, you know my personality, Lord. I'm, I'm in, an introvert person. I, 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 I'm a reserved person. I, I don't want to, to, to talk to a stranger. I don't even want to talk about my own salvation, to talk about my own spiritual conversion, to talk about, to talk about God. I can talk about my grandchildren or, or about politics or, or, or the weather. You can ask me anything about those things, but not about the gospel. Be honest with God and say, Lord, please help me, Lord. I don't want to live like this. <clears throat> and then also pray. Pray for your unbelieving loved ones. 
Before you share the gospel, pray for them first. Lord, I pray that before I even go to, to that person, please, Lord, prepare that person. So when, they, so when I come, that person will be prepared to hear your word. Support evangelistic ministries in whatsoever way. Maybe you are in your 80s, provided that you cannot walk, but at least you can still pray. Pray for them as they go out. Provided that you're too weak to really engage in, in a physical work of evangelism, then, then encourage those who are, who are going to do this. Call them. Call the evangelism committee. I understand you're going to do this. I just want to let you know I may not be able to join you, but I'm praying for you. Support financially if the Lord has blessed you. I'm going to, to help you financially. You, because you might need to buy this and that to help the, 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 the poor neighbors in our area, the homeless people. Read books on evangelism. Read biographies of missionaries to inspire you. Now, I'm going to add this. If you struggle with assurance of faith, and maybe that's one of the reasons why we don't want to evangelize. You're saying, what? you see, I don't even know if I am saved. I, I'm struggling with, 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 my, with my salvation. Am I really saved or not? Or, or, or you, you think you are saved, but your, your faith is, is so weak right now. How, how can I go if my, my faith is weak? Well, are you aware that evangelism is a spiritual discipline by which your faith can be strengthened? Could it be one of the reasons why your faith is so weak is because you are not sharing your faith with others? And I can tell you this in my own experience. Sharing the gospel just gives me joy. Remember that hymn by Catherine Henke? I love to tell the story. It did so much for me. I love to tell the story. It, it brings me joy. Whenever I tell others about Jesus, if, if your faith is weak, you're struggling with faith, evangelize that your faith might be strengthened. Go, go, because it is a means of grace, sanctifying grace. God can use this for your own soul. And are you aware that evangelism, sharing the gospel, is a mark of conversion? Not the mark, but a mark, one of the marks. Remember the Samaritan woman? Jesus shared the gospel with the Samaritan woman. What did she do? Right after meeting with Jesus, she went back to her place and she started spreading the news about Jesus. I found the Messiah. And many believed because of that. Evangelism is a mark of conversion. And that's why, again, going back to that, that point, are you struggling with assurance of faith? Evangelize. Your faith will grow. It's a mark of saving grace. Not the mark, but a mark. There are many marks. This is one of those marks. And I will end with this. 
Now, maybe this morning, the reason why you don't want to evangelize is because you yourself remain unconverted. Maybe you're, you're, you're listening to this message and saying, I don't know if I'm saved. Then you need to be evangelized. You need to hear the gospel. You need to be converted. And again, the Bible so clearly says, the gospel is so simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The moment you believe, you will be saved. And once you are saved, like the Samaritan woman, you will have the joy of sharing the same message of the gospel with those who desperately need it. Let us pray. Lord, oh Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we all stand guilty before thee. And help us, oh Lord, to be faithful to thy calling, to that commission to go. And we confess that in so many ways we are like Moses. We love to make excuses. But Lord, for every excuse we make, there is always a response from Thee. And so Lord, please help us to be faithful to Thee, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.